0: After spending exactly two years in the book of 2 Peter, I'm blessed to continue preaching to all of you here. And it truly is a blessing of which I am not worthy. And whenever I get the chance, we're gonna spend some time in the Old Testament. Whenever Dr. Campbell lets me preach, specifically, as you've seen, we're gonna I'm gonna be preaching on the book of Jonah. The next five times I have the opportunity. Funny enough, while I was uh, interning with RUF, John Boyd preached through the Minor Prophets. And when he told me he was going to preach through the Minor Prophets, I told him, like, Hey, John, I want to preach on Jonah. And he told me, no. So here we are. The Lord's will happen. I'm preaching on Jonah. And what a blessing it has been. So before we look at these three verses from Jonah, yes, just three verses this morning, uh, we're going to read through the whole first chapter together. So I invite you all, please turn in your copy of God's word to the book of Jonah, right before the prophet Micah. So, we're going to read through the first chapter. Jonah chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Jonah. Though it is a story we all likely know well, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear glorious things from your word. Lord, I pray that you would... Help us to behold Christ in this book this morning. Be our guide, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So before we we dive into the actual, what's going on in this book, it's kind of an intro. I want to answer three questions first. Three questions before we get to the text. Question number one. Why should we as Christians study the Old Testament? No doubt you've thought about this before. You're like, Reading the Old Testament is sometimes a bit harder than the New Testament. So why? First of all, it is the Word of God. No less than the New Testament. And without the Old Testament, as we learned from Dr. Campbell when he taught on covenant theology, we can't possibly understand the New Testament rightly. And the people of this time worshipped the same God. Yes, they worshipped Him differently, but really we can call them Christians. They worshipped Jesus' promised. Whereas we worship Christ as we know in the Gospels. And and not only that, but the New Testament constantly teaches us that Jesus himself, when it's rightly taught, is present in the Old Testament. He is present there. Let let me read you two passages. This first one is from Jesus himself when he's arguing with the Pharisees. In John chapter 5, verse 44, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. On whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. This is Jesus looking back to Moses saying, Moses wrote about me. And then Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says this, For whatever was written in former days, including Jonah, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope so this book Jonah was written for you written for me as truly as it was written for the people back then second question why should we study the prophets so the Old Testament's a lot of different books and the prophets are filled with all sorts of different types of literature you've got stories poetry apocalyptic literature prophecy And I've talked with a lot of you, and I know we got a lot of faithful readers in this congregation. And here's the thing. If you like to read, there's something for you in the prophets. It doesn't matter what you like. There's something for you in the prophets. So there are 17 of the Old Testament books, are prophetic books. And while Jesus was on the earth, he talked about them constantly. So I did some numbers over the week. In the book of Matthew alone, the prophets are mentioned or alluded to over 50 times in just the book of Matthew. Jonah being three of those times. And that's, that's not including all the other references to the books of Moses and the Psalms. So there, there's no way we can understand the ministry of Jesus if we don't understand the prophets. Also, the prophets relentlessly teach us about the character of God. And they they do this in really cool ways. For instance, the the story of Hosea is especially well-known and loved. God commanded a prophet to go marry a woman who was an unfaithful prostitute just to teach him and the people of Israel what salvation was like. It's a very visceral picture of what salvation is like from something as common and everyday as marriage. These are the kind of things that the prophets do. Third question, why should we study Jonah? This is the question for the morning. Whenever you hear about the book of Jonah, I'm guessing a couple things naturally first come into your mind. First being, isn't that that guy who got swallowed by a whale? Yes, it is that guy. And second of all, you might be thinking, isn't that that story that has that amazing VeggieTales movie that came out like 20 years ago? (laughs) And yes, you're right. And yes, I watched it. And no, we are not singing those songs in church. So those are probably the things that pop into your mind. But those are not the main points of the story. The whale is not the main point of the story. I believe that we must study the book of Jonah because it viscerally teaches us about who our God is. So what is the main point? In the same way that the person of Hosea offers a visceral picture of what God is like, Jonah offers us a visceral picture of who God is not like. Let me say that again. In the same way that the prophet Hosea shows us a visceral picture, a tangible picture of what God is like, Jonah shows us a tangible contrast to to God's character in many ways. This is why I titled the sermon this way, Jonah and the Mercy of God, because these two themes are juxtaposed throughout the entire book at almost every stage. Before we move on, I think it's worth mentioning, what, what is mercy? It's one of those words that we Christians use all the time. We sang two songs that mention mercy a lot. What is mercy? Mercy is undeserved favor. It is a kindness and a love that is given that is not deserved. Whatsoever. And as Christians, we are all on a lifelong journey of realizing just how rich God is in mercy. And how much kindness he shows us every single day. Because the Lord loves to show mercy. He loves to show mercy to his people. And Jonah, in many ways, is the opposite. Indeed, this is something I'll talk about over all these sermons. Jesus and Jonah in many ways are situationally very similar and yet categorically different. Let me just walk through some of those. Jonah, a prophet sent by God. Jesus, a prophet sent by God. Jonah disobeyed God's command to go and preach. Jesus obeyed every command from God to go and preach. Jonah fled the moment God called him to go. Jesus came to earth exactly when God called him to go. Jonah slept in a ship in a storm in complete comfort with his sin. Jesus slept in a ship in a storm in total good faith with his father. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days. Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. Jonah, in many ways, a resurrected prophet. Jesus, a resurrected prophet. Jonah preached judgment, desiring the wicked to perish. Jesus preaching judgment while welcoming those sinners to repentance. Really, the question that this book raises to me is, what if Jesus were like Jonah? What if Jesus were like Jonah? Thank goodness he's not. But I hope we can all wrestle with that question as we move forward. So, long introduction. I'm going to deal with two things in these first three verses. Verses 1 and 2 is Jonah's call, and verses 3 is Jonah's flight. So let's look at verses 1 and 2, Jonah's call. It begins by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is a regular occurrence that we see in the Bible. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. But it's really easy to just move on and not really soak in, what do these words mean? Because there's a lot of mercy pent up in just these first six words. Because God's wrath was justly kindled against Nineveh. His judgment was coming. He didn't have to send his word. God did not have to send his word as an opportunity for salvation for this foreign people. And yet he did. And even in just these first six words, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. God's, a judgment day is coming, and yet the word made flesh is sent as an opportunity of salvation. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Who is this Jonah? You might not know this, but within the Old Testament, Jonah is actually mentioned in only one other book. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. The only other place in the Old Testament... Where Jonah is mentioned. Second Kings verse four, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five. And I'll explain it after I read. This group of verses says this, <clears throat> starting a couple of verses earlier. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, King of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty-two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. This is the same Jonah, same Jonah from our book. And we learn several things about him. First of all, we learned that Jonah lived in a, a troubling time of God's people, let's just say. So a short little history lesson. At this time, the kingdom of Israel was divided. While David and Saul and Solomon were kings, it was a unified country. And yet after Solomon's death, it was divided. You had the southern kingdom, which is often called Judah, and you had the northern kingdom, which is often called Israel. And the southern kingdom worshipped God. In Jerusalem and by and large had a decent amount of good kings the northern kingdom did not worship God in Jerusalem and by and large had all terrible kings so right off the bat uh, the city where Jonah is from Gath-Hefer is in the northern kingdom and he's preaching to a king in the northern kingdom which is really ironic because the Lord sent most of his prophets to the most unfaithful part of the country Jonah being one of them. Second, we see that Jonah's message to this king is not a message of judgment. It actually was good news. It says right here, he says that Jeroboam, this wicked king, um, would enlarge Israel's borders, that their kingdom would grow. And this was a sign of God's kindness. They didn't deserve that, and yet the Lord gave it to them. And lastly, we see, as I mentioned, where Jonah was from. He was from Gath-Hefer, which is in the northern kingdom. And his name, uh, Jonah, son of Amittai, means son of faithfulness, which is likely we're supposed to learn from that. Jonah was a child of God. He was a covenant member, a recipient of God's love, and he was a faithful prophet, as we see in this book. We'll see how that changes somewhat in the book of Jonah. Now, what did the Lord have to say to Jonah? He had something incredible to say to him for this time. Because not only was Jonah called to speak occasionally to God's people in God's land, the Lord was calling Jonah to speak to a foreign people in their foreign land. And friends, this has never happened in the history of God's people up to this point. No doubt, Jonah was flabbergasted when he heard this. This was abnormal. Here God is deliberately saying, don't just preach about them while you're here. Which other prophets have done? He's saying, go. Go to them and preach to them in their city. Why? Because their evil has come up before the Lord. Just as a minor side note before we move on, this is our prayer for our church. All Christians, all of you are called to pray for missions and pray for the spread of the gospel both in Anderson and around the world. But some people are called to go, to not stay, to go to those people, to bring them the gospel and to be supported by us. Really is my prayer that the Lord would raise up more missionaries from our church, like, like Sheridan Swathwood. What a blessing. I think that's an important thing to point out, that Jonah, unlike all the other prophets of his day, was actually called to go, not just to stay. And he had to go to Nineveh. Why was Nineveh a big deal? So Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at this point, which was the big bad kid on the block. They were the powerhouse at this time. Nineveh is in present-day Iraq. And just so you can get get everything straight, it's worth mentioning... Israel was not the greatest nation around at this point. Not only were they fractured, a fractured nation, but they were very small in comparison. It it was almost like this. Imagine at the time Egypt and Assyria were like America and Russia during the Cold War. The two big powerhouses. Israel at this time would have been any little nation that's just kind of being tossed in between the two. Israel was not the biggest deal. And it's also, it's, it's a likely point that Jonah hated these people. He probably hated the Assyrians. Because later on in 2 Kings, in chapter 15, it, it says that the Assyrians came into the northern part of the northern kingdom where Jonah's town was. It says that they surrounded those towns, invaded them, ransacked them, and then took people into captivity. Likely within his lifetime. For all we know, right before God sent this word to him. For all we know. It's not a far stretch to say that Jonah probably had a deep hatred for these people. For all we know, some of his friends or family were killed and taken away by the very people that God called him to preach to. This just so you can understand the tension of this. this would be like the Pilgrims on the Mayflower coming all the way to America, and then God says, "Go back and preach to the king." the one you ran from. This, this would be like a German person after World War II, right after their, their country's laid waste, and God comes to them and says, "Yeah, Moscow, go preach to Stalin, to his face and tell him to repent. Not commenting on whether or not the, either of those causes directly relate, but it's tense. That's hard. So why was Jonah to go? Because Nineveh's evil was very great. This was a nation that did not know God. They killed people mercilessly. They did not honor who the Lord was. They were out. They were. They were in it for power and for land, for things of this world. And yet. Israel, as a nation, was made by God to bless people like Nineveh, to bless places like Nineveh. In Genesis 12, when God is speaking to Abraham, he tells Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Jonah would have heard of that. Or in Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments, God talks to the entire people and says, you are to be a kingdom of priests. Bringing nations, welcoming them in so that they can know who the Lord is. So, really, Jonah's thought should have been yes, God, finally, finally, we get to go and bring these people in so that they can worship and know and love the living God. And he does the exact opposite. Now we're at verse three Jonah's flight. How did Jonah respond? He fled. He ran away. He did the exact opposite. Jonah's disobedience to the living God is not sugar-coated here. There's no context, no reasoning yet. He just didn't want to do it. And just went the other way. But, friends, sometimes God's people do the worst things. And some have tried to make the claim that like perhaps Jonah wasn't a true Israelite. Perhaps he wasn't really saved. And there are many reasons why that's not true. Chief of that being his prayer in the middle of the book. We'll deal with that in a later sermon. But this text, a lot like David's sin with Bathsheba, it makes us all have to wrestle with the fact that often the most wicked acts are done by God's very own people. And why is this? Because it teaches us from the scriptures that salvation is by faith. And not works. Because if salvation was by works, Jonah has no hope. You have no hope. Salvation is by faith. So, right here, even in just these first three verses, the mercy of God and the person of Jonah are at odds. So, the reason for his flight as of right now, it's not really stated. He just goes. And for those of you who remember Psalm 139, you know this is, this is foolishness. Let me read verse 7 and 8 from Psalm 139. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jonah knew this because later in the book he, said, he calls God the God who made the sea and the dry land. He knows that God is present everywhere. But what I think Jonah's getting at, he's fleeing from the land of God's spiritual presence. Let me explain. In a sense, God is more present where his people are, where true faith is, where the word is preached, and where the sacraments are administered than anywhere else. There is a truth to that. So Jonah here, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord from the temple, from his people, from the, where the word of God is preached. This would be like a Christian today ceasing to go to church or never praying or never coming to their Bible because they don't want to be confronted with their sin. And we know fleeing from the Lord is foolishness, but if we dig into it, really, all of our sin has this level of irrationality. Let me give you some situations. Uh, Say a a young couple is sinning together sexually. They try to flee from the Lord by not going to church, by not praying about it, not talking to anybody, but they can't outrun their consciences. Think of if you've ever told a lie and it slowly grows and you have to tell more lies to cover the first lie. You don't pray about it because you feel guilty. Is that not running from the Lord in a sense? Or kids here, a lot of kids here. Every time you've ever attempted to conceal from your parents something that you did wrong or something that you're watching on your phone or doing with your friends when they're not around, are you not running from the Lord in some sense? Surely all of us have dealt with bitterness at some point, bitterness at someone else's words or actions that we just let stew in our mind and we refuse to pray about it, refuse to talk to somebody else about it, refuse to confess it is that not running from the presence of the Lord in some sense? So I say these things to show right from the beginning that you and I, though we are not prophets, we're pretty similar to Jonah. Pretty similar to Jonah. Just look at what the text shows to be the lengths that he went to flee from God, to dive deeper and deeper into his sin. He rose and went the opposite way. He went to Joppa, which was a port. He found a ship in Joppa. He then paid for the fare to go to Tarshish. He then boarded the boat, and then he stayed on the boat until it left. At any of these points, Jonah could have been like, "No, what? It's too far. I'm done. Lord, I'll go. But he didn't. And you might be thinking, I get it. Jonah messed up. Jack, please keep going. You might be thinking that. But No. This is important. Why? Because if we downplay the law of God, we downplay his gospel. If we downplay all the heinous nature of Jonah's lack of obedience, we will miss out on the greatness of God's mercy to him. The fact that God sent the storm, the fact that God sent the whale, those are mercies to Jonah. God could have left him on that boat. And that would have been judgment to Jonah. And I look back in my life, and no doubt you do as well. How often has it happened where God shook you up for you to realize your sin, realize what you're doing. And though it hurt in the moment, it was the greatest mercy he could show you. I I had a wonderful conversation with a student this week. We're walking through the book of John, and we're at the point in the book where Judas betrayed Jesus and then Peter denied Jesus. So I asked him the question. I said, what was the difference between what Peter did and what Judas did? just wanted to let him figure that out in his brain. And we talked about it. And the reality is, if you really dig down deep into it, they're the exact same. Judas betrayed Jesus and denied him. So did Peter three times. Both were apostles, both had stunning ministries, both preached, both performed miracles, both showed incredible sorrow for their wrong. So what was the difference? The difference was, as Luke tells us, Jesus prayed for Peter's faith. The difference was Jesus moved towards Peter in his mercy and welcomed him back. Their sin was equally heinous. And yet, it's easy for us as Christians, and people have done this with the book of Jonah in the past, to try to downplay what he's done. We can't do that. We can't downplay sin, because when we do, we miss out on the beauty of God's mercy, not only for Jonah, but for you. So this book starts off with a rather sobering picture. What are we to learn from it? i got three lessons. lesson about man's nature... Lesson about God's character and then the person of Christ. So, first, man's nature. We are all by nature disobedient, like Jonah. We no sooner hear the command of God than our flesh turns in the opposite way and kind of curls at the thought of being obedient to God. Also, like Jonah, we are merciless by nature. Jonah did not want these people to be saved. He wanted God to be his God and his people's God, not no one else's God. James chapter 2, verses 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, we also learn a lot about God's nature. He is merciful. I, I know it was probably a tough song to sing, but I hope it gets stuck in your mind. Who is a pardoning God like thee? And who has grace so rich and free? And who has grace so rich and free, like we sang earlier? Some of you cherish God's grace for yourself. And you trust him to forgive you, but you struggle with the idea of someone else that you don't like getting that forgiveness. The book of Jonah is going to challenge that. And then some of you struggle to believe that God's mercy could ever be yours. Take comfort from Jonah. He's the worst. (laughs) And yet the Lord loved him. If someone like Jonah can be a son of grace, so too can you be a child of God. God is merciful. And lastly, we learn about the person of Christ. As I said before, there are a lot of similarities between Jesus and Jonah. One last passage to point us to. Before the foundation of the world, there was an agreement. There was an agreement between the Trinity. And that agreement was, we will save men from their sin. Not incredibly dissimilar to the sending that God proposed to Jonah. Let me read to you a couple verses from Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus is praying for the entire church right here. Everyone who would ever believe, including you. Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And I love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's beautiful. Let let me ask this question again. What if Jesus were like Jonah? What if Jesus were like Jonah? What if when confronted with the eternal suffering of humanity in his church, for the weight of their sins, and he knew the only way that they could be saved was by his intercession and death and sacrifice, what if Jesus, like Jonah, turned the other way and said, nope, God, I want you to be perfectly just to them. Let me personalize it even further. What if Jesus, knowing your sin and what you did this week, decided to act like Jonah? This is a terrifying thought, and I don't say this to burden you. I say this so that we may never grow accustomed to God's mercy. May his love and his forgiveness for your sin this very moment be something that you cherish. That the son of the living God would leave his heavenly throne of bliss and perfection and become a weak and troubled and sickly human being and bear the weight of our sin and die on a cross all for the sake of love. That is staggering. And I urge you, I urge you, everyone here, trust in his mercy. He loves To give mercy. Believe in him that he did this act on the cross for you. That you, though vile as Jonah, can be wrapped in his love and merciful forgiveness. Like a father who keeps challenging and pursuing and loving his wayward child, Jesus has more mercy than you have sin. God had more mercy than Jonah had stubbornness. Thank God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, old and new. Lord, I pray that as your people, we may learn to take treasures out of your New Testament and out of your Old Testament and learn that they both teach us of Christ. Lord, I pray that as we study this book, that we would not sidestep Jonah's sin, that we would not sidestep our own sin, And yet, Lord, may we richly behold your mercy and trust that your mercy is enough to cover us. We thank you for your love and for the death on the cross. I pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.